Hello fellow adventurers and welcome back to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. This week I checked off um, another to-do on my list. I wanted to test the game Mythgard for a long time now. And this week I finally got the chance to do it. I played a little bit through the campaign mode and tested a few draft rounds. Just enough to get a good overview of the game and its mechanics. Uh, Mythgard is a digital uh, collectible card game. And I think the game added a few very nice aspects to the genre. That's why I'm going to dedicate today's show to review Mythgard. My goal is to review the game from a designer's perspective, not from a player's perspective. I will not talk about tactics and teach you how to win a match of Mythgard. I probably wouldn't even be able to do so. Um, and I will also not analyze the economy of the game. I know that for the success of a digital game, it is really important whether or not it is considered um, pay-to-win or not. But for my analysis um, of how the game is designed, um, all of that is completely irrelevant. What I really want to understand is the core concept of the game, the mechanics, the keywords, the different types of cards, and so on. My goal is to really break down the individual components of the game and find out where where the fun comes from. Maybe we can find something that we can adopt for our own game designs. And yeah, that is why today's show is about eight exceptional design choices from Mythgard that you can adopt for your own game designs. Let me start by yeah describing to you a little bit what Mythgard is actually about. Mythgard is, um, as I said, a digital collectible card game developed by Rhino Games. That means you yeah, typically open booster packs to collect cards or win cards um, by playing through the story or winning tournaments um, and grow your collection over time. And from this collection, you can then build um, yeah, different decks and play with those decks against um, other players to win even more cards. As far as I know, the open beta of the game was released in uh, yeah, fall last year. So it's actually still a pretty new game. And um, yeah, the setting of the game is uh, urban fantasy. That means some kind of modern world um, in which mythology, magic and monsters are real. I played the game on PC, but um, I think it is also available for iOS and Android. The initial game comes with some hundred cards and um, yeah, it consists of six different factions, each with um, yeah, its own color identity and strategy. The goal of the game is not very innovative. You have to reduce the life total um, of your opponent to zero. That's it. Of course, this is nothing special, um, like the goal of crafting three keys in Keyforge or, or winning two of three lanes in Artifact. But for me, this is uh, not a problem at all. For a dueling game, this is still a totally valid goal for me. The cards um, itself represent different types. Um, 
they are not very innovative as well. Um, you have uh, minions, um, which are some kind of beings or constructs that fight on your side and are deployed on lanes. Then you have spells, um, which are cards that have a one-time effect um, as soon as they are played and then they are discarded. Then you have lane enchantments um, that are cards that add a persistent effect to a specific lane. I will explain you later what a lane is. Um, and you have artifacts that are items that um, yeah, have a wide uh, range of different effects, um, but they stay in play compared to spells. And um, yeah, as mentioned, the game comes with uh, six different colors um, and they have some kind of weird theme, I would say. For example, blue cards are Vikings and motorcycles at the scene. And yellow cards are uh, Maya, Aztec and high technology themed cards. Red cards are Greek underworld and vampire themed cards. Green cards are witchcraft themed cards. Orange cards are yeah, Middle Eastern desert themed cards. And purple cards are, yeah, let's call them anime or cyber ninjas. Um, as you see, these uh, settings um, or this theme is very yeah, weird. Um, but that's not something I want to talk about today. But from what I've read, um, the designers um, have the goal to match the entire mythology of our real world and our history to um, those colors. So the color identity and the theme for each color will grow over time. As usual with these trading card games or collectible card games, the cards come with different rarities. So in Mythgard, they use the typical rarities, common, uncommon, rare and mythic. But those rarities do not only affect how often you will see those cards in packs and drafts, but they also determine how often you can play those cards in your deck. That means they add a deck building restriction to the game. And this also brings me to the first exceptional design decision of the game. Um, because it is always an important question for all strategy card games that involve some kind of deck building, how many copies of each card should you allow your players to put into their decks? Um, and Mythgard links the limitation of how many cards can be played with their rarity. Um, the commons can be played four times, uncommons three times, rares two times, and mythics only one-off. Um, and by implementing this rule, the designers have an easy way to balance cards later on. If it turns out um, the win percentage of a card is too high, which is easily measurable because it's a digital game, um, yeah, they have the ability to upgrade the card from, let's say, uncommon to mythic. And yeah, when they do that, uh, the card can be played only once instead of three times per deck. Still, that is nothing that you want to do um, as a designer because it might upset your player base, of course. But it is still better than all those emergency buns that happen in Magic the Gathering all the time. I know Mythgard is not the first game that uses the rarity as a um, restriction for deck building. But this is a question that most game designers um, are faced with when they try to design a game like that. So I thought it might um, be an interesting uh, aspect to talk about. 
And since this system is really modular, you have some kind of scale between one and four that you can shift the cards around during your playtesting um, to determine how often you want to have those cards in a certain deck. This is something that is really nice um, for the um, playtesting, balancing part of the game. What is much more innovative about the game than the stuff that we already talked about now is its battlefield. Because there are seven lanes and all the people who played uh, Artifact might be a little bit intimidated at this point um, because one criticism of Artifact was that the complexity of three different lanes was too big. Um, I can't understand that criticism, to be honest, um, but that's not um, what this show today is about. Um, the lanes in Mythgard are completely different, though, um, compared to Artifact. Actually, they are not even real lanes, um, but rather creature slots, I would call them. Um, but, hey, they call them lanes. The lanes are not separated in any kind um, as they are an artifact. Um, so, it's not about winning certain lanes. Um, it's absolutely not relevant if you win one lane or another. Um, because to each of those seven lanes, you can deploy one creature. Only one creature per lane. That means there is also a maximum of seven creatures that you can have in total on the board at any given time. And each creature then can attack the three lanes in front of it. The developers call this system uh, a trident attack. Meaning your minions can only attack the space directly in front of them and its two adjacent spaces. What's important is that in order to attack your opponent directly, you have to remove all enemies from the trident in front of the creature you want to attack with. In addition to attacking, your creatures can also move from one lane to an adjacent lane, which you typically do to um, get around a minion that you cannot defeat or um, to use one of your minions as um, a blocker or to... Um, just make space on, on that certain lane to deploy a new creature, for example. And this is also the second exceptional design decision that I want to talk about, the Trident attack system. And the Trident-based combat really allows for blocking and dodging mechanics that manage to streamline the game without really complicating it. The lanes and the Trident combat mechanic really is the key of that game, the key innovation of the game. So um, let me give you a few keyword examples that um, show how this combat mechanic really is integrated into the game design. For example, there's a keyword called Agile that allows um, a creature to attack any threatened lane, ignoring blocking minions. This means, for example... Um, If an opposing creature is directly in front of my creature, I do not have to attack it. I can also attack um, the lane uh, chastened to it. And if there is no minion, I can um, attack the opponent directly. Which directly brings us to the, um, to the next keyword, which is breach. That is um, a keyword that happens when the minion deals combat damage to a player. Then it triggers something. Um, and the next keyword is defender. That means uh, the creature cannot attack. It can only uh, yeah, block. 
but um, it must be attacked before other blocking minions um, without defender. That means um, if I if the opponent would have the chance to um, attack a defender minion or another one that is adjacent to it, it always have to attack the defender first. And there's also somewhat um, yeah the other way around because there's a lurker keyword which means that um, this minion cannot be attacked before other blocking minions without lurker. So defender is kind of I taunt you um, and lurker is some something like um, I, I hide from your attacks. Um, and other keywords that are also relevant for the um, trident and for the lane system is um, or are immobile that means creatures cannot move or creatures can be swift which means they gain an extra free move um, action per turn and there is even the um, keyword teleport which means they can move to any lane so as you have seen from those keywords the game mechanics really influence the keywords that you can use and that can you can create for your game so once you have a clear understanding of um, what your game mechanics are um, it becomes much easier to create the keywords for the um, individual cards and um, Mythgard does a really good job in um, using this lane system and trident system um, to create very interesting cards and interesting keywords this battlefield and combat system with the trident really, really helps to eliminate phases. So attacking and blocking is not really a thing that costs time um, during, the, during the phase. It's more like a strategic tactical decision that you take during your turn. Um, and that helps to keep the game fast-paced without too many um, switches between um, player and opponent and those decisions that you have to make there um, can be very interesting let me give you some examples um, due to the trident attack system it can sometimes be beneficial to not attack or move and just skip an action let's say you have a 1-1 creature and your opponent has a 3-3 creature in front of it there are no other creatures on the battlefield so if you would attack, you would have to attack the 3-3 creature um, and damage uh, remains on those creatures. That means if you um, would attack the creature, um, it would suffer one damage um, and your creature would die. Meaning um, the other creature would no longer be a 3-3 creature, it would be a 2-2 creature now. Um, and in your opponent's turn... Um, the opponent could then attack you directly in the next turn because there is no blocker left on your side in its tree end. And um, if you skip the attack with your 1-1 instead, your opponent would need to spend their action to kill your 1-1. Um, and the end result would be the same that um, um, their creature would be a 2-2 afterwards. But you would have stopped one attack. I find that interesting because there is no intentional blocking in the game like it is in magic but yet you sometimes make similar decisions it feels a bit like the decision you make in magic when you decide for a creature whether you want to attack with it or keep it for blocking but the decision 
in Mythgard is way simpler and takes a lot less time usually. Another interesting choice that you have to make as a player is um, the question where to place your creatures. For example, if you have a creature that benefits from um, its neighbors, um, let's say um, it gets plus one plus one for each adjacent creature of the same creature type, you will place this creature more in the middle of your um, of your lanes. If you have um, creatures that have um, little or no synergy at all um, and maybe they even have um, long-term effects on the game something that triggers every round you will more often um, place them on the far side of the field because um, if your opponent decides to um, dedicate a minion of uh, of him or her to to fight that creature It is uh, on the far outside of the lanes and it is not so easy for that creature to get back to the other side of the lanes. So what I mean by that, positioning is very relevant um, because you have to react by positioning your creatures on what your opponent does and you also have to think about um, how do the synergies between my creatures work best when I place them on the, on the board. All those decisions really have to do with your strategy. And um, also the um, next exceptional design decision, number three, um, goes into that direction. And I also touched on it quite a bit already. Um, as a designer, you often ask yourself, do I want a system where every player can react to everything the opponent does or not? Like um, instance and the stack in Magic the Gathering. Reaction systems at a lot of complexity to the game and add extra playtime. So that's the reason why many or most modern games choose not to include reactions or to limit them. But if you decide to not add reactions to your game, you will ask yourself, how can I create still a game that is strategic and has a lot of depth to it when it comes to um, reacting on um, the action that my opponent does, even if it's not um, on instant speed while he does it, uh, but maybe in the next round when it's my turn again. In Magic the Gathering, for example, the it is everything is highly interactive, which can force players to wait around while their opponents decide how they want to react, react to your maneuvers. Um, Like most digital CCGs, Mythgard um, takes the more back-and-forth approach to, um, to gameplay. But it still feels very reactive. And I think a combination of two things are responsible for it. The first one is the lane system, because you know which creatures threaten each other and will probably fight against each other. That feels more like the situation in Magic the Gathering when um, blockers are defined and you try to um, react with some kind of instant speed combat trick on it. Um, this is how um, the situation feels when your turn starts. And the second aspect that adds to that is that no blockers are defined. So you do not have to choose with uh, whom you block. It's always um, uh, done by the one who is attacking. So the combination of these two things really create that feeling of always being in a combat situation um, in which you have to react with something. So that feels very reactive. Great game design choices here. 
Okay, let's leave the combat part of the game and um, look at something that yeah, actually happens before combat, um, uh, the resource part of the game. Instead of tapping special cards for mana, you have the option to discard a card from your hand each round to increase your mana pool. That is called burning a card. Um, a similar mechanic has been used in uh, games like Aventuria and Duel Master. But in Mythgard it is a bit different. Whenever you burn a card that gives you two things. One generic mana plus a colored gem from the respective faction. That means when you discard or burn um, a card of the red faction, you get one mana and one red gem. And in order to cast a spell, you always need a certain amount of mana, that is the universal part, and the number of gems that represent the power of a certain alliance. Another difference is that the card you discard is not lost forever, as the distant Aventuria. Um, the burned cards are shuffled back into your deck. If you draw a card that has already been burned before, it cannot be burned again. However, it is almost impossible to get mana flooded or mana screwed in this game. Yet, it has a complex color and faction system, allowing for multicolored decks and a lot of variety in deck building. I really like the resource system of this game. And I will explain you why. Resources are always an important topic when it comes to discussing a CCG. Um, many people would say the mana system in Magic is the biggest weakness of the game. I wouldn't completely agree with that, so, um, but if you want to learn more about my opinion on resources and other restrictions in card games, uh, please go back to episode 23 of the Nerd Lab podcast. I dedicated an entire episode to talk about that topic. But I agree with one thing about Magic's mana system. It is not very well suited to be transferred to a digital game. Why? Because it cannot be automated easily. That is one of the reasons why all its digital-only competitors use other um, resource mechanics. Magic is based on a system that requires players to play and tap specific lands. And digital systems have really struggled with how they automatically choose which lands to tap. Because um, a blue... Uh, Land is not always the same. It can be um, also a land that can produce a blue or a red source. And um, the system now does not know if it should um, use the blue only source or the blue and white source or the blue from the blue and red source. Um, and so it cannot be automated. The result is that players often have to click on each land card individually when they are choosing their resources. That is the reason why most other digital CCGs got rid of mana completely or drastically reduced the system to only one mana type that can easily be picked automatically, as it is done in Hearthstone, for example. But Mythgard's resource system really fuses elements of both Magic and Hearthstone. The system is a lot simpler than Magic the Gathering, and it is... Um, fully automated like it is in Hearthstone. But it, um, due to its two-resource system, it 
has a lot more depth than a Hearthstone system, for example. And um, yeah, it allows for um, different colors to really play an important role when it comes to resources. And that's really nice because you can um, easily play several colors and this allows a lot of flexibility when it comes to deck building. And since every card has a multi-use function by um, burning it as a mana, uh, you do not really you do not need an, a specific land card type as it is in Magic the Gathering. They got completely rid of that. The system is as almost as simple as um, the Hearthstone system in which you get one mana per turn. And in the first turn you have one, then two, then three, then four, then five, and so on. But it allows for more strategic decision making. And that is also my exceptional design decision for burning cards for multiple resources. In every hand there is a layer of choice because you decide what cards become resources um, and what cards uh, you want to keep for playing. Um, early in the game you might have a very strong card in your hand but um, it costs a lot of resources um, and your decision process really is do I keep that card my bomb rare um, that might win me the game or do I shuffle it back into my library and still have the chance to draw it later um, but um, now I get the mana from it. So typically you, you uh, burn the cards that cost a lot of mana because you couldn't play them um, anyway and anytime soon. And you keep those cards that um, you would be able to play during the next few turns. That also means this system does not only generate you resources, it also um, thins your hand um, so that you can build your deck in a certain way though you can you can put in uh, your deck more uh, cards that are expensive um, and that are more cards that are more um, situational than other cards because if you the situation does not uh, come up in which you need the card you can simply burn the card um, and use it as a resource and at some point point in time of the game you come to a state in which you might not want to burn additional cards um, to build up your mana pool um, so a typical decision that comes up is do i burn one card now to be able to play two other cards this turn or do i only play one card and play the other card next turn and um, keep the the card that I would have burned for later. So that means you really have to make these kind of decisions all the time during the game, and they are fun. Um, for, compared to Aventuria, in which you lose your cards, um, they are not reshuffled back into your deck. Um, it feels much better in Mythgard because you still have the chance to draw the card later on. That really, these decisions really require a lot of forethought, and that is something that I really like in, in in card games when I have to think multiple turns ahead and decide based on that. Okay, that's it for the resource system. Um, I love it. Yeah, not much more to say about it. The next thing I wanted to mention are paths. 
Paths are passive effects that grant bonuses independently of the cards in a deck. Um, you as a player have to choose exactly one path per deck. And those paths give players additional powers, uh, typically some form of a global effect that supports certain playstyles. Consider it some kind of uh, global enchantment that is always active from the beginning of the game. Some kind of uh, ley line in Magic the Gathering comes to mind. Um, and I'm actually not sure if you can really interact with the path of your opponent, but I don't think you can. Um, they feel a bit like um, a commander in Magic. Uh, as they influence the way you build your deck, but they are way less impactful. I didn't play around with uh, the path too much. Um, I think this is something that comes with more experienced play. But, for example, they give you some kind of benefit whenever you play an artifact. So they really um, give you the intention to play more artifacts in your deck and give you a benefit for it. So, um, but what I, why I mentioned them here explicitly is because um, they have a keyword on them that is called Pursuit. And this is my exceptional design decision five. Pursuit is a special keyword that can only be found on, um, on path. And Pursuit comes into effect when you are going second as a player. It is meant to give the second player a bit of an advantage to mitigate the benefit from going first. That means um, all the paths have the pursuit um, keyword and if you go second, uh, they are a bit stronger than they are when you go first. I really like that idea of um, um, mitigating the first play player advantage because um, you do not have to play... Um, best of three you can just play one match and um, the if you want to do that the impact of uh, going second should not be too high the next element i want to talk about is um, the ability of adding a power to your deck so no that's not correct you do not add it to your deck you have it as a player um, and those powers um, are also chosen um, before the game for your deck but um, you need to pay um, mana to activate them they all cost two mana to activate so powers can be used once per turn when you pay the two mana and the you always have them available uh, independently of what cards you draw from your deck and the effect for those powers um, are typically not super strong so, for example, you could once per turn um, banish the bottom two cards of your uh, boneyard, which is the graveyard, um, to create a 1-1 cobble check in one of your lanes. Or you could, could pay two mana once per turn to give a minion plus one plus one until end of turn. So, but what I think is the exceptional design decision six here is that those permanent powers... Um, can help to mitigate mana flood. So using most of your available resources each turn is often one of the best ways of getting an advantage over an opponent in collectible card games or in strategy card games. Um, I really like the addition of powers in Mythgard and other games as well 
um, because by having an optional mana sink that is always available for you, um, you can mitigate the turns in which you cannot use your entire mana. And from a designer's perspective, I find it very clever to make those effects minor um, from a power level because you want your players to primarily use their cards. Otherwise, you wouldn't need a random deck full of cards um, anyway, right? But uh, for those times in which you just didn't draw the right cards, um, these uh, permanent powers are a great way to mitigate mana flood or to, in other words, to reduce uh, the variance of your game. The next exceptional design decision, number seven, is um, about a card type. But this time it is a card type that is really in your deck. Um, I'm talking about enchantments. Um, Muska does a very good job in making lanes matter in the individual card designs, especially when it comes to enchantments. Um, because the enchantments are put on a certain lane, not a creature. They are um, a great way to create synergies. Let's take one of my favorite cards, Serpent Den. It is an enchantment that is placed on one of your seven lanes and it creates a 1-1 snake um, on that lane that you enchanted at the beginning of every turn. Uh, but due to the restriction that only one creature per lane um, is allowed, um, that means it only triggers again when you um, move the snake away or it died or um, at least is no longer on that lane. That means it often only triggers every other turn, unless your opponent is very aggressively killing the snakes or you found a way to um, make use of those snakes um, or move them immediately. A lot of interesting deck building decisions and gameplay decisions come with those kind of cards um, for which you have to put in some work to make them really great. And um, my Serpent Den example was probably not the best one because there are um, other ones that are much more synergistic. For example, all of the enchantments make the lane um, a specific type. For example, it makes the lane a desert. And then you have um, creatures that um, gain additional benefits um, when they are on a desert lane. And that is an additional benefit based on what the lane enchantment um, uh, grants anyway. So as you can see, there is a lot of uh, synergistic potential and um, this creates a lot of, uh, of fun during the game because your opponent sees what kind of um, enchantment is on, on which lane. And even if there's no creature on that enchantment or on that lane, you um, might still be um, placing a, a creature in front of it, just a very strong one even, just to make sure that your opponent does not deploy the creature on um, that enchanted lane getting that benefit. Altogether, I can say that the um, enchantments are really nice and they help to, to build the synergies in this game. The last exceptional design decision is um, not really about the gameplay, it's about the drafting aspect of the game. And drafting works a bit different compared to magic. Um, it is more like a draft in Hearthstone. Let me explain how it works. First, you randomly get three paths and three powers. 
um, all of them are added to your draft collection, which you are not allowed to keep at the end. So it's a phantom draft. At the end of the draft, um, during the deck building part, you then have to choose one path and one power um, for your deck. And during the actual draft, you always pick two cards out of six randomly generated cards and repeat this process uh, 25 times until you have uh, 50 cards total, out of which you have to build a 40-card deck then. That means the choices you make during the draft do not impact the choices of your opponents. That is something I really dislike because it um, takes away so much from um, from what a draft could actually offer. Um, signaling, hate picking, identifying the underpicked colors and so on. In general, I would say the draft method here is too restrictive. Um, picking two out of six is just not enough choice for me. You see too few cards total and that typically boils down to um, a very simple yeah, rule that you follow. Pick every card that is in your color choice. Of course, the first couple of packs um, are the exception. Um, maybe it takes three, four, five packs until you decided which color you want to play. But after that, you typically always just pick the colors uh, the cards that are in your colors. Um, yeah, maybe you have one, two, three, four packs in between that offer more than two cards of your colors so that you have to make a real choice there. But um, other than that, it really is not too much of a choice that you have there. And this issue um, leads to other problems as well. Um, during deck building... Um, if everything goes right, you have um, to build a 40-card deck out of 50-card pool. This is already not too much of a decision that you have to make here. But if you end up with, let's say, five cards um, that are off-color, um, you have almost no decision to make during the deck-building part of the drafting portion. And um, as a result, you really have not much choices to make during a draft. Let's compare it with Magic the Gathering. In Magic, you draft um, a 42-card pool um, and typically use 23 cards of, of the pool um, to add to your deck. That means you use maybe 55% of the cards that you draft um, for your deck. That makes deck building interesting because you have a lot of uh, choices to make during the deck building. And you have um, also more possibilities or choices um, when you want to change your deck or want to... Um, make some adjustments during the sideboarding part. My feeling is that uh, the designers still experiment a little bit around with their drafting mode in the game because um, not so long ago you drafted two out of five cards and now you have two out of six. So they increased the number of choices here um, already a little bit. And they also added um, boost and cull cards. So during the draft, you will see some of those boost and color cards and they allow you to curate your card colors yourself. That means you can spend a pick to make sure that the upcoming picks are more likely in the colors you want to play. The first boost card increases the chances of a color by 100% and the second increases the chance of that color by 200%. Um, and the color cards work um, yeah, the exact 
uh, same way, just the other uh, into the other direction. The first color card reduces the chances of a color by 50% and the second reduces it to 0%. I didn't draft enough to really have an opinion on this uh, boost and color cards. I think they are a good way forward to increase the number of um, real choices that you have to make during the draft because um, if more than two of the six cards are in your color, you have to make real choices there. But um, yeah, I don't know if they go far enough and if it's worth to um, spend a real pick to increase the chances um, of your upcoming cards. However, I thought they were a very innovative idea. I've seen them um, for the first time and um, I thought I mentioned it here because um, it might be helpful for some of you as well. And that's it for today's design review. I hope you were able to take something for your own designs and maybe you got also a little bit uh, interested in testing Mythgard. Um, I am currently having a lot of fun with the, the game and we really want to um, also explore the two versus two multiplayer mode, which is a bit like two-headed giant in magic. So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the NerdLab podcast um, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you are uh, listening to at the moment. If you also want to connect with me, um, you can find all the relevant links in the show notes. I'm super happy to hear from you. And um, yeah, until next week. Keep shooting for the moon and nerd like a boss.